We, you know, we are so blessed to live in a time and age where, you know, we have Bibles, right? We have printed copies. You have one you probably brought this morning. There's some under the pews if you didn't. Or maybe digitally. Maybe you uh, use your Bible or your phone as your Bible. But, you know, there have been times in the, in the lives of God's people where people didn't have access to God's word. First uh, Samuel chapter three, verse one. This is the period right after the judges. You remember the judges, that book ends telling us that uh, that everyone was doing things in their own eyes. There was just this complete chaos. And as we moved into Samuel, the, bo- the book of Samuel in first Samuel, chapter three, verse one, we're told that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Or maybe your translation would say it was precious. You know, not like a a child that is precious, but uh, the word of the Lord was infrequent. Again, it was precious. It was rare. And God wasn't speaking to his people that much at that time. What uh, Brenton just read for us this morning in Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. Again, notice what the prophet Amos says. He's prophesying to the northern kingdom of Israel that's about to go into captivity And notice what, again, what Amos said in chapter 8, verse 11. He says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east, and they will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Again, there's going to be a famine upon the land, Amos says, but it's not going to be a famine of of food, but it's a famine of God's word. He's going to quit talking to them. He's going to quit giving them direction. They should have been listening to what he had been saying to them through the prophets, but they weren't. But again, I'm thankful today that you and I have the completed revelation of God that addresses all things that we need to hear today. You know, Jude chapter 3 tells us, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once handed down to all the saints. And first, or excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says that God has given us everything pertaining to godliness in this life. Everything we need to know. Again, today there is no famine of God's word. It's not rare. It's not precious. It's not infrequent. And we have the completed word that he wanted to communicate to us. And so all I need to do to know those things is to go to this book and read that. Again, we have multiple copies of the scriptures printed electronic. And we can ask ourselves this morning, am I using it? Am I reading those things that God is saying to me? Do you remember the uh, television show that was on a while back called Home Improvement? You, you remember Tim the Toolman Taylor and how he would, you know, he would have these problems with, in his life. And so he'd go outside and, he'd, and his neighbor would be there. Remember Wilson? You know, Wilson was on the other side of the fence and he would, you, you could only see half of his face usually during the show. But Tim would have these problems and he'd go and talk to Wilson about it because Wilson to him was probably the most wise man he'd known. He knew at the time, and I suspect that Tim usually knew what the right answer to do with the problems that he had in this life. I suspect Tim knew, uh, you know, what those answers were, but he just needed to hear Wilson confirm. He just needed to hear Wilson say it to him, maybe in a different way, that, yes, Tim, uh, what you're thinking is correct. Well, today, again, I still need to hear God say certain things, right, to reaffirm my faith. 
You know, sure, I've read the passages, you've read the passages in Scripture, and God has spoken in these areas, but again, I need to hear it again. I need it repeated. Because uh, unlike in Samuel's day, God is not directly speaking uh, to those prophets and, and to those patriarchs, but he's speaking to us through the Scriptures. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He is now speaking through his Son. So this morning, what I want us to do in our lesson is to notice in four areas uh, things that I need to hear God say and that he does. And so the first one I want to notice is, I love you. I need to hear God say, I love you. Of course, we're very familiar with John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And how much insecurity would we have in this life if we didn't know that? You know, maybe we had this book and that we knew that there was a God, but we didn't know how much he loved us. You know, most of us grew up in an environment that was caring, that was loving, that we had parents who would tell us that they love us and it would reassure us. But that's not the case for everyone. Right? Not all of us were reared in that sort of environment. And how much for those who were not long to hear those words, they're desperate to hear those words, I love you. You know, because of that, uh, sometimes they look for love in all the wrong places because they need that affirmation. They need to hear those words. There was a book that came out a while ago. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've used it in a study called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Again, maybe this is a book that you're familiar with where you go through it and you notice that there's uh, really these five love languages that you know, people uh, need love in these sorts of ways. Uh, maybe it's quality time. Uh, maybe it's gift giving. Maybe it's an acts of service. Maybe it's physical touch. But the fifth one is words of affirmation. Right? People need to hear, I love you. There are some people that that's how they function. That's how they, they, they get filled up, is they hear those words of affirmation from other people. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, uh, we're, we're told there that, that, that God said, uh, God demonstrated his own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, here is what's great about God's great love is not only that he said it, but he demonstrated it. You know, I was looking this up the other day, but if you are in the uh, realm of, you know, getting engaged, and if you want to go to New York City, Times Square, for as low as $2,500, you can hire this company that will put your proposal basically up on this, one of these billboards down in Times Square. Again, as low as $2,500 for six minutes. Six minutes, we'll, they'll plaster your picture up there with your proposal as maybe you get down on one knee to talk to your, uh, your soon-to-be fiancé and say, will you marry me? And, you know, they'll throw in another, uh, for $160, some more roses or a musician for $350 for another $500, a photographer. And you can publicly display your affection for your significant other, for your, your soon-to-be fiancé. And I don't know if you have ever experienced something like that, but have you ever experienced a public demonstration by someone towards you, maybe in a similar manner? Someone getting down on their knees and saying, I love you, or in any other way? Well, friends, that's exactly what happened on Calvary some 2,000 years ago. That cross is a billboard to us. It still speaks to us today saying, I love you. 
And also, not only is God's love affirming within Scripture, not only we know it was demonstrated for us, but also it is a personal love. It's not impersonal. It's personal. You know, you hear athletes or actors all the time. They get in front of people. Maybe they're accepting an award and they'll say to their fans, I love you guys. Right? You're the greatest fans in the world. I love you. I'm not talking about that type of love here this morning. See, I need to know that God loves me personally. I want to look at a couple scriptures with you this morning, if you would. Uh, Let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. And then we're going to jump into Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 6. Uh, We're going to notice a couple of things that although these passages are pretty similar in nature, uh, we're going to notice a slight difference in it. And we're going to notice an example of how God's love is personal. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29, and again, Jesus here is talking uh, about God's love, his personal love for, for his creation. He says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. See, Jesus says in this passage, two sparrows equal a cent, right? Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? But notice what he says in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 12, verse 6. In Luke chapter 12, verse 6, a different account of the same uh, sermon that Jesus is giving. Jesus says, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. You know, the point I'm trying to make here is in Matthew's account, he says two sparrows equal a cent. Luke says five sparrows equal two cents. You know, if we're going, if, if we got some mathematicians in the office or in, in, here this morning, we know that, you know, Matthew says a sparrow equals half a cent. But Luke says for two cents, I can get five sparrows. You know, that's a bargain, right? Luke's throwing one in for free. The point is, is that God even took notice of that fifth sparrow that seemingly had no value. That it was insignificant, right? We see sparrows fly by all day long, but we don't uh, assign value to them. But now if he would not allow the sparrow, that fifth sparrow, to escape his attention, how much more will you not escape his attention? See, again, Jesus says you are more valuable than many sparrows. God notices when a sparrow falls from the sky. And if he knows that, how much more does he know about you and I? Do you think he cares more about that bird than you or the hair of your head? You know, in that same context, God says that that he can number them all. He knows me better than my spouse, than my children or even myself. I can't count the number of hairs in my head, but but God has and he does. Friends, he is not watching from afar. This is not a generic I love you that God says within scripture, but rather you are important to me. I gave you my only begotten son. I publicly displayed my affection for you by having uh, him nailed to the cross. And again, I need to hear that. I need to hear God say, I love you. Secondly, I need to hear God say, I forgive you. You know, think of a time when you really needed to be forgiven in this life. And again, I'm not talking about, you know, maybe my feelings got hurt and, you know, and maybe I need to uh, be forgiven in that way. But, you know, really somebody uh, needs to be forgiven. You know, you feel so bad that you don't want to be around them. 
Uh, When you see them, it reminds you uh, of the offense that maybe you perpetrated against them. Uh, You feel unworthy to be around them. I can recall back my senior year of high school. My senior year of high school, this was towards the end of, of the year. It was during baseball season, and I was out golfing with a couple of my buddies. Uh, we were out at the golf cor- course one night, and I have this friend who's one of these guys who he doesn't think before he acts. You know, he just reacts. And so he, we were on a par five. He probably got a nine or a ten on that hole. You know, he's upset. He's mad. He drops his ball to the ground. He takes his putter, and he just rears back and swings it as far as he can. You know, his, his ball's going off into the distance in some cornfield. But as his putter comes around, it comes back and connects right on my elbow. I fall to the ground. You know, my whole body is in shock, just like I was, uh, you know, had my funny bone hit times a thousand. You know, and, and that was an embarrassing moment for my friend. Right. Uh, uh, From that time on, we started referring to him as Mr. Putter. You know, stay away from him when he's got his putter. But through his carelessness, you know, he couldn't react uh, around me as we used to. You know, he couldn't when he saw my parents. You know, it it was a different type of story because, you know, there are medical bills to be paid now there. I had to miss a few ball games because of that injury. But he needed to hear someone say, don't worry about it. You know, it's forgiven. It was an accident. You didn't mean it. I need to hear that from God. You and I make mistakes all the time. You know, the Bible says we're sinful people and we need to hear God say, I forgive you. And again, he says that. Scripture tells me that God forgives. Psalm 103 verse 12 tells us as far as the east is from the west, he will cast our our, our sins away In Micah chapter 7, verse 19, going in the opposite direction, north to south, he says he'll cast them into the depths of the sea. 1 John chapter 1, verse 19, if we confess, John says he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us of all our sins. And if we think that God cannot use us in this life, you know, because of our past, because of our sins, we have missed the nature of God. Right? You are, sometimes we think we are only valuable to God when we're offering him gifts, when we're doing good deeds. But again, that is so short-sighted of the nature of God. See, he can take the worst of us, the worst of us, and redeem it. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is right after he's talking about his thorn in the flesh. And he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 9, he says, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, again, Paul says your imperfect life is fertile, fertile soil, fertile ground for God. Don't think that uh, only the gifts that you offer him are what he is going to use, what he's looking for. But God takes your mistakes and he says, let me work with it. Let me let me. Form you, let, let, let you learn from those things and become a better person become, because of it. And if he can get, forgive an individual like Saul, 
uh, who we know as Paul. And again, why not me? Why not me? Again, he says again there, he says your, your strengths or, or God's strength is perfected in our human weaknesses. And again, I need to hear God say, I forgive you. And again, he has done that. Our third point that we want to notice here is I need to hear God say, you can do better than this. I know he loves me. I know that he forgives me, but I also need him to say, you can do better. You know, we often sing a song called Just As I Am. And while it's true that God loves us just as we are, he loves us too much to permit us to stay that way if we're not in that right relationship with him. You know, some see that song as an anthem of of tolerance that uh, just as I am and I don't need to change. But no, when you read through that lyrics, when you sing those lyrics, it's a prelude to transformation, right? The the chorus, oh, Lamb of God, I come, I come, right? I'm changing my life and I'm coming to you, God. Not saying come as you are and stay that way and I'll accept you. But again, a song that, that leads to change and transformation in our lives. Again, he wants to work with you, transform you into something useful, Turn with me to John chapter 8, and we'll notice a few passages here in John chapter 8. This is the account, of, beginning in verse 1, uh, of the adulterous uh, woman. You remember this account, I'm sure, where Jesus, uh, this morning, he's in the temple, and, and he's teaching the people and the scribes and the Pharisees. They, they brought this woman to Jesus, uh, who they say was caught in adultery. And they say, listen, Jesus, the law of Moses commands us to to stone her. And what do you say? Well, of course, Jesus knows this is a trap. Jesus knows that they're only trying to test him because if he says, go ahead and stone her. Well, then they're going to be able to accuse him of breaking Roman law. Right. They're now under the Roman government. They're not allowed to uh, do their own sort of capital punishment. You know, that all has to go through the Romans. And so if they're going to stone an individual, that's going to be breaking Roman law. And so they've got Jesus trapped. But if he says not to stone her, well, then, of course, they're going to bring up the law of Moses and say that he's violating that. So what does he do? We notice that first he ignores them. You know, he he stoops on the ground. He's writing something on the ground, but they persisted. They kept asking the question, what do we do with her? Well, notice in verse 7, Jesus says, he finally speaks up and says, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. You know, who, who is without sin in this situation, in this test, in this moment that you brought this woman to me? You be the first one to throw a stone at her. Right? He's going back to the old law. We could go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17, verse 7, and notice that the old law tells us that the hands of the witnesses should be the first ones to enact this capital punishment. Right? If they were truly upset with what she had done, those witnesses to that event should have been the ones starting the stoning, starting the capital process of capital punishment. But they weren't. They brought her to Jesus in order to trap him. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, says that uh, in that type of offense, you bring the man and the woman and you stone both of them. Well, in this account, the man is nowhere to be seen. Again, they're not worried. They're not concerned about the law of Moses, but they're only looking to trap Jesus. But notice uh, again, John chapter eight, starting verse nine, when they heard it, when they heard uh, Jesus 
uh, give that statement. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, verse nine says, when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman where she was in the center of the court, straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did not one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. And here's the point of the story that I want to get across this morning is that Jesus told the woman, do better. Go and sin no more. You can do better uh, than this, and it's expected of you to do better than this. Go and sin no more. He didn't tell her that the life she was living was fine the way she was. But again, you can do better. I'm giving you a second chance. Stop sinning. Stop living in this lifestyle and do better. We, we see other passages within Scripture in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 3 that, that talk about doing better. Right? Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 says, you ought to be teachers by now. Right? The Hebrews writer is telling the people there that... Um, that you know they've been Christians for for a while now. They ought to be teachers, but yet they need they still need the fundamentals. They still need milk and not solid foods. Uh, Paul said in First Corinthians chapter again chapter three verses one and three. You know you're still acting carnally. You're still acting fleshly, like babies who need a bottle. Again, you haven't grown up yet. It's time for you to do better. It's time for you to get off the milk and onto the meat. Yes, God loves us. Yes, he forgives us. Yes, and that grace he extends to us as well says we can do better. And again, we need to hear that in this life. Finally, the last point that we want to notice this morning of things that I need to hear God say, I need to hear him say, well done. I don't know of many words that inspire us and cause us to aspire to greater things than those words. Well done. You know, I really appreciate that. You know, two simple words. You know, you use it in the workplace and people are going to be bending over backwards to uh, get the job done. They're going to break their necks for you. Children are going to do things that you never thought imaginable when you uh, let them know. That was a good job, Timmy. Well done. You know. Rise above mediocrity in the church and tell each and every one when you see them do something uplifting and encouraging. That was well done. Well done, brother. Well done, sister. All of us long to hear words of acceptance and approval. And of course, these passages that I'm referring to come from Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. You know, we're familiar with this. With this parable where where the master leaves uh, these talents with his servant and with one he gives five, with another he gives two, and uh, the third one he gives him the one talent. And of course the the five and the two talent man, they go and they they invest those talents and they bring back uh, double of what they were given. But that one talent man went and hid his talent in the ground. Well, you remember what the master said when he came back to receive his talents from uh, his servants. Again, the five-talent man, the two-talent man, he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And that's what they wanted to hear. And that's what I want to hear on that day. The alternative, again, that that one-talent man, you remember what the master said to him? 
Throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, I don't want to hear those words one day. I want to hear, well done. You know, maybe you can recall back when you were in grade school or in college of getting, you know, a paperback on. And it wasn't just that you got a paperback and maybe you had an A slapped on it or something to that effect. But the teacher gave you a personal note. They, they said, well done. That was a great thought. You know, that inspires us to, to do better, right? That they're telling you, well done, great job, I'm proud of you. And it aspires us to greater things, doesn't it? And to hear God say one day, well done, that's what it's all about, right? You and I ought to be knocking ourselves out, trying to do better, right? Doing all the extra credit that we can to hear those words one day of well done. Of course, the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 7, verse 37, that Jesus did all things well. And we know that we don't. We, we fail in comparison to Jesus. But again, we must strive to be those trustworthy stewards that God has called us to be. So that that one day when we go before God in judgment, we can hear those words, well done. Well, are you thankful this morning as we conclude this lesson? Are you thankful that there is no famine of God's word today? Again, God has said everything that you and I need to hear. He tells us he loves us. It's a personal love. It has been demonstrated. It's affirmed. He tells us, I forgive you. Uh, Let me use your life. Let me use your life for good, no matter what you may have done. He tells us that you can do better, right? Continue growing in grace and knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, he, he is going, hopefully, he's going to tell us one day, well done. I'm proud of you. But now the question is, will you say what God wants to hear from you? Again, he has taken care of all of our needs. He has given us the confidence and security that we need uh, through his word. And he wants to hear from us this morning. Yes, I will follow you. Yes, I'll make Jesus Lord of my life. Yes, I'll deny myself, take up a cross and follow you daily. And this morning, if you have not said those things, make the decision now. This morning, as, as we offer the invitation, the things I need to hear God say. If you're with us this morning and not a Christian, the Bible tells us to become a Christian, that we must hear the word of God, believe that Jesus is the son of God, repent of our sins, confess him as Lord, and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to his church. And those are things that you and I need to uh, hear and hear God say. And if you'd like, we could sit down and look through the scriptures and see what it takes to become a Christian. Uh, If you would like to set up a Bible study this morning, we would love for that opportunity to help you with that. Or this morning, uh, if you're here with us, uh, but maybe you're struggling in this life, maybe you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe you need to uh, hear their reassurance and confirmation that they love you and that they will forgive you and that things can be better, then please, please let us know this, this morning as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.